0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit CanDoWealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Katie Bowles. So another day, another day of the COVID inquiry and another star witness. Isabel, today it was the turn of Helen McNamara, the former Deputy Cabinet Secretary, to turn up in front of the inquiry. What does she have to say? Because what people knew her for of before is that she provided the jukebox at one of the leaving parties during Partygate.
0: Yeah, I think it was actually karaoke, Oh, theme, sorry, my precise, bad. Slice, which is obviously, you know, much less egregious yeah it was an interesting session look we in lots of ways we're not learning anything particularly surprising that's changing anyone's mind about what was going on in government particularly in the early days of the pandemic but what we're getting and and what you'd hope the inquiry would then be able to distill into lessons learned is a picture of a government that wasn't Being run properly and that was able to not be run properly, and no sort of checks and balances on that. And she described a macho culture, also a sort of cognitive disconnect in the way that lockdowns were approached. So uh, she had a, a witness statement where she talked about the lack of a female perspective on the crisis, including a lack of thought about childcare, the impact of restrictions on victims of domestic violence, and a lack of guidance for pregnant women. She also wrote that a disproportionate amount of attention was given to the impact of lockdown on male pursuits, citing football, hunting, shooting, and fishing. I said that's probably a particularly. A particular type of male who has those pursuits as well from a particular social group. Again not a surprise we know that cognitive disconnect is a real problem in, in UK policy making and my sort of anxiety about this public inquiry and indeed most public inquiries is that You have the evidence sessions where it's very easy to get caught up on the the swear words, uh, frankly, given that McNamara was giving evidence a day after expletive-laden content from Dominic Cummings about her Mm. was read out to the inquiry. And also, you know, you have that sort of focus on the, the swear words. And then you have a day where the inquiry reports and journalists get locked in a room to read the reports and then have, you know a day maybe two days if you're really lucky of headlines and then that's it and that's the point at which inquiries should be their most powerful because they've had recommendations for lessons learned what actually then happens is those lessons aren't learned and they're just repeated in a slightly different manifestation by Mm. another government leading to another public inquiry which says the same thing that sounds very depressing and uh, cynical but unfortunately that that does tend to be the case She did also have some kind of fruity stuff, such as she struggled to pick one day when COVID regulations were followed. Uh, She described Matt Hancock as displaying nuclear levels of overconfidence. Again, not a surprise to anyone who's been following this even vaguely. But I think the picture that she painted of the government, she did so in a very sort of quiet way, was quite devastating.
1: Katie, what do you make of the gender point that Helen McNamara is making here? Because this also comes in the aftermath of Dominic Cummings being accused of misogyny in his comments about Helen McNamara. Well, the Dominic Cummings response to that
2: is, I'm actually horrible to everyone, (laughs) and and particularly horrible to men. Equal um, so you might surrender. think I was bad to Helen McNamara, but just you wait and see what I said about Matt Hancock, which I suppose is equality in in one form. Though in this case, he's actually saying he's worse to men than women, so not pure equality. I think that if you look at the comments against Helen McNamara, so, um, you know, there's one I'm not going to say, but it's about stilettos and it involves the C word. I think that's pretty crass and spread I don't think it paints Dominic it comes to particularly good light I think also comments he made about you know I'd like to handcuff her personally is one of the other suggestions he made so clearly very dismissive of her as a civil servant. What's funny is lots of people say she used to at least be one of the only civil servants he respected mm. in that building, but um the respect appears to be missing in some of those exchanges. I think generally there's often, I think, an effort to say almost like, you know, the vote leave, bully boys, Lee Kane, Dominic Cummings, and you look at some of the language. I think that you can find, you know, some of the WhatsApps Dominic Cummings sent and say they seem sexist towards women. But you do get back to the point he was pretty horrible about everyone. I think the more serious issue probably just in the sense like the WhatsApps are not painting anyone a good... Mm. Like, and that is not me defending Dominic Cummings particularly. I just mean as in you've got Angela McLean, now the chief scientific officer of the government, at one point describing, you know, one of her colleagues as a F-K, I'm going to say wit. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to swear on this podcast. Um, you know there's a lot to go around in terms of things that have been said in the heat of the moment and so forth. I think that during that time, though, and during COVID, someone's remarked upon the time I think Helen McNamara's comments today are picking up on. It was often the men making the decisions. Mm. And as soon as you have a situation when it is mainly men making decisions, that does have an impact, whether it's on designing social housing, whether it is on what rules you're changing in a COVID pandemic. One thing that, you know, some of her evidence shows is she was flagging that PPE, what is good for a woman will be slightly different than what's good for a man and saying, so, you know, who do I flag that to? So I think having the top civil servant male, Simon Case, having the Dominic Cummings, who was effectively the chief of staff, Lee. Kane, director of comms, the ministers who are making the big decisions in terms of that quad, Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, Rishi Sunak, and Matt Hancock, it does just mean you have a heavily male lineup. And therefore, I don't think it is anything necessarily malicious when it comes to, oh, we're going to exclude women from our policy decision making. But you combine that with Chris Whitty as chief medical officer at the time, Patrick Lance as chief scientific officer, and before you know it, you're going to get quite a one-sided outlook I think where you can obviously apportion some blame there is generally speaking having a balanced cabinet and a balanced team is a good idea for various reasons just as I don't think you'd want you know all one gender either side if you're going to make these arguments and therefore was enough done in advance to have that mix but I I think you can just see in the policy making it was an issue it was raised at the time and you're seeing more evidence today confirming that
1: about someone who doesn't come out well at all and someone whom Helen McNamara and Dominic Cummings seems to agree about is Matt Hancock. Now, she was asked today, is it true that he said things that wasn't actually true? And McNamara said, yes, I was very surprised about it, but suggested basically that he often time and again told the government things that weren't true. Matt Hancock he's not he's not coming out well in this and he's also this is the same week that he has a clip of him from SAS Who Dares Wins has come out it's quite incredible to think that this former health secretary um has had such a downfall am I being unfair I mean downfall from
0: what I guess is the question (laughs) I think he's reached the I wouldn't even say the the stage of self-loathing but I think most people would would feel self-loathing at this stage where any exposure is better than the alternative of not being talked about at all, which I think is is his ultimate nightmare. And I was, when I was doing uh, stuff for my book on the NHS, uh, somebody who worked very closely with Hancock said to me, "I think Matt quite enjoyed it because it felt like he was doing something important. He had a piece of his brain missing where most of us all found it quite stressful." And there's this bit from McNamara that that backs that up actually she told the inquiry today he reassured me that he was loving the responsibility and to demonstrate this he took up a batsman's stance outside the cabinet room and said they bowl them at me I knock them away (laughs) um and look lots of people outside of politics think that politics ends up being a game played by immature men who are still mentally at school and people like Katie and I spend a lot of time defending politicians against that charge
1: and then This happens, and you just think, well, I'm just not going to bother. And let's move on to other political men, because uh, this continues to be a tough time for Keir Starmer. Yesterday, he set out what he hoped was a speech that would clear the air a little bit about his stance on Israel-Palestine. What did he say, and how did that go down? So it was an interesting attempt
2: at a tightrope balancing exercise by Keir Starmer, whereby... As we covered on this podcast many times, he has faced resignations in terms of uh, Labour councillors, senior Labour politicians such as Anna Sawa and Sadiq Khan calling for a ceasefire. Some of his front benches saying they want a ceasefire and they back one, despite it not being Labour policy. And this was Keir Starmer's response to that. So he used the speech, I think, to uh, be more critical of Israel than he has been previously. You're saying. You know, just because because we say Israel has a right to defend itself doesn't mean that we are writing a blank check. Also, and I think in a direct clarification or rebuked his previous comments on that LBC interview, he talked about how you know turning off electricity, stopping water was not acceptable for Israel to do, but ultimately has anything changed he stuck to his position which is he's not going to call for a ceasefire at this moment on the grounds that he said it would freeze things as they are that could help Hamas, and it was not the right course even if he did understand why some in his party was saying it but he thought they were misguided was the implication and therefore where does that leave Keir Starmer? I think what was interesting to me was in the Q&A, he was asked several times about collective responsibility. Mm. He kept saying, well, collective responsibility is a very important thing, it's very important. Um, but yet, so far, there's not really any sign that Keir Starman plans to enforce collective responsibility when it comes to his shadow front bench, because there's not been any discipline. There's only been discipline for Andy McDonald, but that's a very different thing, because about comments which have been reported as, you know, being looked into as well in the offence of break various rules and there is no sign he's going to do that today. So I think, why did he give the speech? It seemed that Keir Starmer wanted to show he's in control, say to his party he was listening, but not actually change anything. And therefore, for all the kind of Keir Starmer doubles down, faces down his party, it's like, he's facing down his party to a degree, but he's not really, because he's not, Enforcing his authority in terms of their position. And therefore I think the best thing Kostama can probably hope for is that Joe Biden calls for a ceasefire soon enough. And then you could have a situation where he can just roll in behind that mm. because the label is trying to have this balancing
1: out of what a government in waiting would do, but he is coming up against what his party wants him to do. Isabel and Katie, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening. Do give us a rating and a review if you like this podcast, and do join us again tomorrow.